What the Oikos principle is, is it focuses us on the people Jesus came to save. That's all it does. But it activates our physiology. It activates our social wiring. And I tell our church family, you can pick your apps, but you're stuck with your operating system. God built us for relationship. And I'm on the roll. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today, we're having another one of our... Deep Conversations. A deep conversation with Pastor Tom Mercer. It's the second conversation that I had with him. And here's the question. God calls us to the world, but so few of us ever go to it. What if the world starts with those closest to us? Sounds simple. But I think that it's a massive change in perspective. How would it change us if we didn't focus on the whole world, but simply on the 8 to 15 people in the front row of our lives? Can that be done? Is that actually doing what the Great Commission is? Is it that easy? Yes, says Tom Mercer, it is. Because I know that for many of us, Whenever we think of evangelism, we think of someone standing on a street corner, walking through some type of spiritual steps or knocking on a door, and it terrifies us. But what if evangelism is not that? What if evangelism is not having the four spiritual laws? And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just a tool. But what if it's intentionally living your life and speaking the truth about who Christ is to those in the 8 to 15 people on the front row of your life? How would that change your approach to evangelism? I think it would change quite a bit. And Tom Mercer, he thinks so too. Tom is our guest today, and this is the second conversation that I had with him. And if you are unfamiliar with Tom, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to the previous episode. Just, just as a way of review, for those who don't know Tom, though, he has been married to Cheryl for over 40 years, has three married children and 11 grandchildren. He is a graduate of Biola University and Talbot Seminary and has been the senior pastor and primary teacher at the High Desert Church in Victorville, California since 1984. And during that time, HDC has grown from 125 regular participants to thousands from one campus to four. He's the author of two books, 8 to 15, The World is Smaller Than You Think, and Not My Church. These books highlight the Oikos principle, which is what we're going to be delving into today. And I believe it's the simplest and most effective form of kingdom growth that Jesus gave us. And we're going to explore it. This second part of the conversation is us really delving into the Oikos principle and why it is so important and easy for us where we are. We want to water our worlds. What is our world? Well, it's the 8 to 15 people in the front row of our lives. And if we focus on that 8 to 15, would that make a difference? How about this? Are there any biblical examples of someone actually doing that? Listen in and find out. Happy listening. Taking the Oikos principle here for a moment, how did it change your view of the church? Well, it it reminded me, and I, I think clarified for me, how Jesus gave us one thing to do between his advents. 
He gave us one thing to do. Make disciples. Uh, and make disciples. And and that's, you know, have you ever, and you're, you're a married man, Travis, have you ever got that look from your wife that said, <laughs> I gave you one thing to remember and you couldn't even remember one thing? Can you, can you, imagine? I got that 20 minutes can, before can, I got on this can, interview. Can, can you imagine? <laughs> and you know, our wife loves us and I know Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us even more, but can you imagine standing in front of the Bama seat and Jesus giving you that same look saying, Travis, I gave you one thing to remember. And you couldn't remember one thing. Mm. We call it the, nobody ever calls it the good commission. But we do so many good things at church that the gospel becomes marginalized because the Great Commission becomes lost in this morass of good initiatives. Mm. To me, and I, I know I'm, I'm speaking in general terms, so mm. I, I recognize there are so many layers to this conversation, but just because we're speaking to a general audience today, I just ask the question, are your people, you know, the people who come on the weekend to your church, are they really energized and ready to go? Or are they exhausted? I find, and I know I'm speaking anecdotally, I find people are tired. They are not coming to church looking for something to do. Nobody comes to church looking for something to do. They're coming to church to get help. That's why I, I looked at myself as not a, a big box store a few minutes ago. I'm, that's not my store. That's not my church. I know that's the title of the book, not my church. That's, <laughs> that's a very subtle plug. We call it product. <laughs> so I, when people come to HTC, they're not saying, hey, Tom, you know, I got, I got some... You know, my wife and I, we were just sitting around this week wondering, what are we going to do with our spare time next week? Is there something you can give us to do? I mean, and yet pastors put their, pastors oftentimes can put their, they can structure their ministries assuming that people are excited to just do whatever we tell them is good. And, and they're not. And so we throw it out there this way. We get mad then because they don't cooperate with all of these initiatives. And then we get all, all petty and we take it personally and we say, listen, you know, with God, it's all or nothing, right? And everybody in the room says, yeah, that's true. With God, it's all or nothing. But since I can't do your all, Tom, I, I'm just going to, I'll take the other option you just gave me and I'm not going to do anything. And so we got to take that all and we got to frame that all the way Jesus did. It's the Great Commission. That's all. You know, when he gave it to us, you know, Matthew 28, it's a great passage. I, the Lord knows my heart. I love all of the passages he wrote. But <laughs> so, so if the microphone goes dead, it's because the Lord's offended by something I said. But Matthew 28 Jesus said, go, and, and make disciples is the main verb of that statement. Go frames it. The Great Commission, and I write about this in Not My Church, the Great Commission is an assumption we're going somewhere. Mm. Jesus is essentially telling us, okay, fellas, I know you're going to go somewhere. So as you go, you now take this gospel of redemption to people and 
And, you know, following Jesus is not just attending a church. Mm-hmm. Following Jesus is seeing your world through this lens of as you go. Okay, so I would ask a weekend audience, where are you going this week? <laughs> because as you go, we're going to make disciples. So as they go, they're going to encounter a lot of people. But 8 to 15 of them are going to be watching and listening most closely. Mm. And and that is the group, statistically, that is most receptive to the gospel. So now we have framed our strategies around this idea of the 95. Um, we, you know, I, 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 I do just ask from the stage. It's not like I engage these guys all in personal conversations. But I say, look at your church budgets. How much of your church budget is committed to the three biggest bottlenecks in in kingdom growth? Pastors, weekends, and campuses. I call them the three biggest bottlenecks because pastors are, you know, in in 90% of American churches, there's only one pastor. So a pastor, a campus, a day. That bottlenecks kingdom growth. And yet, you could probably, as a pastor yourself, thinking back on, you know, your experience, how much of our budget was committed to salaries, facilities, and the weekend experience? Well, I would say, and I at HCC, I'm telling you, a lot of dollars are thrown that direction. Well, if we're going to throw that many dollars that direction, then... <laughs> Baby, we better be leveraging those weekends and those campuses and those pastoral leadership opportunities, those moments of connection with the church family to leverage the singular principle that Jesus gave us to grow his church. And that's the Oikos principle. And, you know, I, uh, and for some who may still be, you know, trying to figure it out, um, you know, Jesus told the formerly demonized man in Mark 5, 19, and it's kind of ground zero for me. After he came to faith, gave his heart to Christ, and was freed from his demons, he wanted to go with Jesus and the fellows to go back to Galilee. Yeah. He wanted to go. And that first statement in verse 19 is very powerful. Jesus did not let him because Jesus had a better plan. He said, no, you're not coming back with us. I want you to go home to your own people. That's the new NIV translation, your own people. It's the word oikos. And he said, I I want you to go home to your own people and tell them how much I've done for you and tell them how I've shown mercy to you. The Christian life is incredibly simple. Get saved and go home. It's not easy, but it's incredibly simple. Now, if I can take that a step further, do you have, I always feel like I'm monopolizing the time. No, it's what you're the one that's supposed to talk. (laughs) Well, I, I want to, I want to, you know, go big or go home. That's our, everybody loves big. Everybody in Christianity loves big. We want big buildings. We want big, I'm, Big uh, budgets. Big, I, every, big, I'm with you. Big podcast audiences. Big social we media footprint. We, we, we want. We don't want a very big audience. Yeah. So far, okay. we're succeeding. Well, that's <laughs> all I'm saying is that 
I grew up. <laughs> let's let's think about it. I grew up, we, and I don't know how old you are, brother, but I'm 66 years old. I grew up in the church growth movement. Mm-hmm. Or put butts in the seats, bro. Yeah. And hopefully we can fill these buildings a couple of times each weekend because that's how we're going to have the greatest impact. I could see the demonized man telling Jesus, Jesus, why can't I go with you? We'll sell out the biggest arenas in Palestine. You can just teach your Jesus stuff, and then you can introduce me. I'll be exhibit A. I'll tell him what you did for me, and we'll knock it out of the park. And Jesus says, nah, I don't, I don't want to do it that way. I want you to go home to your oikos because those are the people who can see what I have done in your life. You know, I was reading a book uh, more recently by James Clear, Atomic Habits. It's a wonderful book on, on, on what habits are and how you form them, how you break bad habits and develop good ones. But he says in there, and I, I may mess up the numbers, so forgive me. He says in there that in the human body, there are 12 million sensory receptors. 10 million of them are committed to the sense of sight. God built us to be an example to people. Now, you have a podcast. I have a pulpit. We talk to thousands of people, Travis. Talk is cheap, bro. Talk is cheap. Yeah. People believe things when they see it with their own eyes. That's how God built us. Follow the numbers. You'll always get to the truth. God designed us for the Oikos principle. He gave us, he built us relationally. He built us with limitations. He gave us focus. And and he designed us in terms of our anatomy to have the most impact when people are close enough to us to not just hear what we say, but to see what we do with it. Mm. And so when, when we talk about Oikos as a, as a discipleship generator, a lot of people look at it as a evangelism program, like Morris did. God bless him. He's with the Lord now too. And I, I miss him. God bless him, but it's not a program. What the Oikos principle is, is it focuses us on the people Jesus came to save. That's all it does. But it activates our physiology. It activates our social wiring. And I tell our church family, you can pick your apps, but you're stuck with your operating system. Mm -hmm. God built us for relationship. Mm -hmm. And in the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, they, he, you know, you've got the, you've got the, the plural and the singular. You've got the triunity of God declared in Genesis 1, 1. And God is a relationship and he built us relationally and he built us to be an example and to demonstrate faith. That's why, and this is what I, I, I tell folks a little bit uh, critical of my upbringing. If there's a criticism I have to my theological upbringing, it's that I was taught, I think, and if I wasn't taught it intentionally, I certainly came away with it as an understanding. I was taught that if you just grow in your faith, you will naturally share your faith with others. Just grow in Christ and watch evangelism happen. And then after a while, I looked around and said, then why doesn't that ever happen? Why do churches, the champion just growing in their faith become so internally focused? 
I've come to believe that when we get a hold of the mission, that understanding the mission and even understanding how Jesus wired us to fulfill the mission pushes us toward wanting to grow in our faith. Our personal growth doesn't motivate mission. Our personal growth generates mission. But it's our personal mission to our oikos that motivates growth. So, you know, we try to, you know, parse that out and nuance the difference between discipleship and evangelism. I think that's criminal. It's you very similar. It's, yeah, because making disciples isn't just the presentation. You can't, you can't say, okay, this is evangelism, this is a discipleship. Because one depends on the other to be successful. Right. If, if you're only about what we used to call discipleship, which is just learning more about God, if that's all you're about, then you have lost a motivation. Mm. And if all you're about is evangelism, you've lost the generator. They, it's, a it's, a, it's a closed system that God has given us. Personal growth, personal mission. And man, they feed each other. And so that's why we're all about teaching the Bible. Why do I teach the Bible? Why would I want people to know the scriptures? Why would I want people to be held accountable for godly behavior? Because God wired their oikos to watch them hmm. and how they live their life. And so I'm just, you know, again, I just, I'm a science guy. My wife has is, is got into this newer subject called neurotheology. Are you familiar with that? So, so no. neurotheology neuro is actually examining the brain I mean, the, the science behind the brain, like brain scientists examining spirituality from the brain. And one of the things that is talked about is exactly what you're referring to. My wife ref told this to me, mirror neurons, where from the time that we're, we're very young, we look at the example of our parents and we need those examples, people to live that out in front of us. And I, I've been telling my children, even in their classes, because they're, they're, they're in school. And I said, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Because, you know, the thermostat changes the temperature, the thermometer reflects it. And I said, when your teacher asks you a question, be the first to answer, because you will frame that question, because everybody's looking for the example. They're, they're always looking for the example of where to go. And I said, if you answer that, then you framed it for everyone else, because they're looking to you. People are always looking for those leaders and examples. Why do you think we have lost that? idea where we just focus on the presentation aspect and, and the, we've lost the relational dynamic. What do, where do you think that started to occur within evangelicalism? Well, we're born consumers. Well, I mean, we just are. All of us have to just admit that. We're consumers. And, you know, that whole thing in John 6 where Jesus, you know, freaked out the disciples when he said, my my Eat body my is real food. And my, <laughs> yeah, and my blood is real drink. And they're like freaking out. <laughs> Come on, Jesus, not to yeah. eat my, drink you my blood. What, <laughs> you know what's funny? <laughs> I don't know if you have this book, but back, I don't know, I probably got it 40 years ago. F.F. Bruce's book, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Yes, I know the book. I have chapter, the book. Chapter one, John 6. Is that <laughs> and, you know? And the, and the disciples are like, we don't, we don't even. We're Jewish people. We can't even. We can't, can't eat pork. Can't even eat an human. animal unless the blood's <laughs> we're, We can't do this. And she says, 
He essentially says, relax, fellas. I, I just, what you, this is the mercerized version of John <laughs> Jesus said, I know you're going to consume something. I want you to consume me. Mm. I want you to consume me. And when we follow Jesus, we're not fans of Jesus. Mm. You know, how many times you talk to somebody and you tell them I'm a Jesus follower and they say, oh yeah. And they interpret that like, well, I follow the Dodgers, <laughs> which I did, which I did until last week. And so, <laughs> and so for a fan of Jesus, and we try to take in as many Sunday morning games as we can, right? Mm -hmm. No, when you follow Jesus, his passion is your passion. His mission is your mission. His love for people is your love for people. You become an or organic extension of Jesus Christ himself if you are a Jesus follower. And if you follow Jesus, I know where you're going to end up is with lost people. I know that because that's where Jesus always goes. That's why he came. I've come that, you know, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. Mm -hmm. And that's the gospel. So anyway, we're consumers. I was talking to a friend of mine at a church. He's and he's with the Lord now, so I can tell this story. He he's uh, he was one of the greatest guys ever. I got to know him in Seoul, Korea, at a conference we were both presenting on the Oikos principle. And he didn't he didn't know that he was teaching the Oikos principle, but we've all been teaching it for years. We just haven't called it that. And I said, so tell me what your church's mission statement is. And he said, well, we have a threefold statement. It's inward, upward, and outward. And inward is personal growth. Upward would be worship and outward would be mission, you know, evangelism, I guess. And I said, yeah, Dave, I can't, we couldn't do that at HDC. And he looked at me and his church is a lot bigger than our church. And he looked at me almost mad. And he said, <laughs> he said never forget it. He said, why? Why wouldn't that work at your church? And I said, because you give people options. You can't give people options. You give people those three options, inward, upward, outward. Where will they always go first? Inward. Because we're consumers. I'm not being critical. I'm a consumer. That's why Jesus said, Tom, consume me, not that. That's the kind of the, the vibe of the New Testament. Just take Jesus and not everything else. So I said, you might, Dave, you might be able to get them to push upward a little bit. You will never get a church to look outward because they don't have time, which kind of harkens back to your initial question about people being exhausted when they show up on the weekend. They drag their bad selves into the seats. They've been working two jobs. You got a husband and a wife. It's taken them 20 minutes to get their kids into the program. Number one, that has not been as smooth an operation as pastors would like it to be. So now we've just made it worse. Not that they shouldn't or we shouldn't provide kids ministry. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, they come in, they're tired, they're exhausted. You know, they got three, you know, point two kids and they got one in soccer and one in basketball and one in dance. They're running around like chickens with their proverbial heads cut off all week long. And they come to church and we're all excited about our initiatives and all these programs and all these things and all these opportunities. And we pitch it as if, yeah, you all are excited too, right? Mm. <laughs> and they're saying, no, not really. They're not. I mean, they're just not. And so I, 
try to encourage pastors, frame it up better, offer the gospel as a lifestyle to them, because that's the only thing Jesus gave us to do anyway. And let's just set aside all of the other good things, whatever that means, so that we can focus on the one great thing. And I do think to your question a minute ago, where we got off track is we began to cater to this consumer vibe and giving people everything they want. When you talk to somebody who's looking for a church, what will they tell you? Well, Travis, can you recommend a church where, where I can be well-fed? Can you recommend a church where my family's spiritual needs will be met? But very seldom do we hear people ask us, you know, Tom, Travis, can you recommend a church that will help me change the world? Mm. I mean, really, because we're consumers. And so pushing people outward is a challenge. Three types of churches. One is a church, one type has an inward vision and an inward structure. It's all about being Christians together in a holy huddle, as we've heard before, and we structure our church for ourselves. Well, that church is successful because it fulfills its mission statement. It's for them. Then there's a second type of church that has an outward vision and an inward structure. Okay, that's most churches that I've encountered. We call people to the Great Commission, but we build the church for ourselves. And then there's that third type of church, which is a church that has an outward vision and they have an outward structure. In other words, it becomes a preparation center, mm. less than a ministry center. It becomes a place where people are prepared to fulfill their mission. It becomes a place where people are told, you could come to church every weekend, attend small group every week, and be involved in a personal ministry on your campus on the weekend, and still never fulfill your purpose as a Christian. Because your mission is to your 8 to 15. And so we have tried, and Oikos is an exponential idea. Oikos is a multiplication element. You know, you take one person and you multiply by 8 to 15. That's how the kingdom of God grew so quickly in the ancient world because it was, it was exponentially growing. Mm -hmm. Oikos is an exponential idea, but many churches are not exponential in their culture. And so people don't make the connection. Their church has been built for them and we tell them to go out and get the lost or share with the lost. I love Apollos water. We're just watering. I mean, we're just investing. What God does, God does. But to be a part of that is pretty cool. And so it is a matter of building our structures at church to reflect what we're trying to get them to do. And one of the key things is to slim down brothers and sisters, because fat happens. It happens to our bodies, and it happens to our churches. When did anybody, I'm 66, I was 45 years old, skinny as a rail. My wife is a gourmet cook. She actually would say, "If, if I'm going to, I may die trying, but I'm going to put weight on you, Tom. And I used to laugh at that, and I just consumed all her food. 
but my metabolism was such, I was so, you know, my body was so active naturally that I never gained weight. And then all of a sudden, bro, 45 happened. <laughs> Don't tell and me it, that because I'm 45 right now. <laughs> okay. Watch out. Watch yeah, well, out, it's already bro. there. You mentioned your wife trying to get, my wife's trying to get me to do the opposite. So <laughs> how, lose how, weight. how hard is it to gain weight? It is easy. Oh, That's easy. why churches have. It's easy to add programs. It's easy to add emphases. It's easy to add initiatives. And we add, 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 add. How hard is it to slim down physically? It's hard. It takes discipline. Mm -hmm. And for a church to slim down so they can focus on the Great Commission is hard. It's hard work. And when I started to share this, it was been it has been like 12 years ago now, probably. I presented this idea to somebody outside of High Desert Church. Nobody ever asked. I never wanted to write a book, Travis. Mm. Now I've written three. I, I never wanted to write books. I just want, I came to the High Desert because I'm an introvert. Nobody will bother me up here. Mm. And so the church begins to grow. And then people start to ask questions like, can you come down and present that principle to our gathering? And, and so... I went down and I presented the principle, you know, to them. And, you know, then they said, do you have a book or, you know, and then it all kind of snowballed on me. But I had no aspirations ever. I still don't. People ask me, are you going to write on some other subject? I say, why would I? There are better people than me to write on that subject. I mean, there are experts on those things. But when it comes to this idea... I, I don't know if there is a more succinct, a more simple, a more clear, a more honest presentation of how the church just needs to slim down and refocus on those eight to 15 people sitting in our front row seats. And what Win Arn lacked 50 years ago was a laboratory. Mm. Now, Charles Arn is Win's son. He's a Wesleyan uh, professor at Indiana Wesleyan University. And Ch Charles, Chip is his, his nickname, so he goes by Chip. Anyway, Chip and I are good friends now. And, and he said, I, we talked about his dad, and we talked about his heart for the Oikos principle. And he said, Tom, Chip said to me, because I never met Arn personally. Mm. I was actually sitting at my desk, and I got an email from Chip Arn thanking me for mentioning his dad in my first book. 8 to 15, the world is smaller than you think. And so that's what started our friendship. I, I now have gotten to know Chip pretty well. Never even met Arn. But he said, he said, Tom, what you've been able to do now in the evolution of this idea is you've had a church that has been completely willing to allow you to be a mad scientist in a laboratory and figure out church structures that will facilitate an outward focused vision, which every pastor wants. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that first category. I don't know what those guys are doing, but every church I grew up in said, go share Christ with your friends. And nobody ever did mm. because they didn't know how. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. And we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. 
At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner with them. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. In this last part of the conversation, we get really practical, and Tom gets passionate, and I love that because it's a challenge to me. He also deals with some of the objections. Some might say, hey, where to go and make disciples of all nations? If I just focus on the front row of my life, then how am I going to win them? It's not that Tom is against reaching the nations, and I know he's not. He's simply trying to break it down so that we can understand and to reconsider how we go about things. For example, if I think about how to reach all the nations, I become overwhelmed, and then I just don't do anything. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I have paralysis by analysis. But if I break it down into that 8 to 15 people, then I, can, then I can understand it. I can digest that. And honestly, in the front row of my life are going to be people from different parts of the world, from different ethnic backgrounds, different than myself. And as I continue to learn how to minister to them effectively, I'll also see how God makes disciples across all cultures. Because if I can reach that person, then they will reach other people in their, their family in their tribe, or people that are from their country or their background, and we see it start to multiply. This conversation, he gets really passionate, and I am so grateful for that. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge to me, and I hope it's a challenge to you, so that we might both stop and think, who are those 8 to 15 people that God wants me to reach? Who are they for you? You have them in your mind right now. Who are they? Listen in as Tom makes it even more understandable and applicable for each one of us so that we might continue to make disciples and bring God's name glory. Happy listening. You talk about reaching, those are the eight to 15 people on the front row of your life. And what I found, it's those are the people that are also the most difficult to reach. You know, it's the whole, a prophet is not accepted in his hometown. And you're trying to live life in front of these people. They know where you come from. They know your bad habits. They know your frustrations. And I think a lot of Christians have a hard time because they've shared Christ. They see it as the presentation aspect of evangelism. And then they don't know where to go from there. Like I shared him. Now you have to make a decision. And I tell people uh, at my church, I would say, it's like a dimmer switch. For some people, it was off and it was right on. They were, it's easy to tell. They, they got it, they accepted it. But I said, more often than not, it's the dimmer switch. They're watching over time and seeing how that plays out in your life. But I don't think a lot of Christians know how to do that. And it sounds odd because really what you're doing is saying, I'm living my life in front of you. 
but where do you bring in that aspect of calling them to be a follower of Jesus? Sure. Like you are. So, so draw that out for us a little bit. Well, I, you know, we've, it's funny because, uh, you know, 12 years ago, as we started teaching this to other groups, I had to, how do you, how do I do that? I mean, I've never done that before. I mean, we've kind of grown into it together as a church family Mm -hmm. and a few people, you know, every month kind of join the ranks and, they acclimate and we just keep moving. But how do you go into a, a room of people who have no idea what, what it is and bring them up to speed? And so we, we started to think more in a more, a, a more, for lack of a better term, sophisticated manner. To, and and we, we created what we follow religiously here now. We created a five-step core strategy for our ministry. What you're describing is step four for us, the presentation. Okay. And I'll get to that in a second. But that is what most people understand evangelism to be, which is why they run for the hills. Mm -hmm. Whenever a pastor says, come to an evangelism class, how many people go? If they say go to a discipleship class, they're full. I, I even advise pastors now, never even use the word evangelism. I mean, unless you're teaching through a text and and you have to, to be true to the text, bury the word because it has so much baggage. People hate the idea of talking to someone probably they don't know about something they don't feel confident in. And, you know, the number one reason why people don't share their faith. I don't have an outgoing personality. I I get that. Neither do I. That's why God gave us an incoming strategy. That's why he's brought those people and set them in our front row seats. So we have five steps. Make a list. Frame up who's on your, who's in your world. Who's sitting on your front row seats. You know, Travis, most people have never even sat and made a list of their, of, of the world they're in where 95% of their ministry potential will actually occur. They've never listed them. We make a list of one thing. I make a list. Cheryl, I already admitted this. Cheryl calls me, says, can you pick something up at Target on the way home? I say, yeah, wait a minute, hold on. Let me get a pen. If I don't write it down, I'll walk into Target and I will stand there and I will look around and I'll think, I know I'm here for a reason, but I can't remember what it is. We make a list for one thing. So all I'm saying is why don't we frame, you can't change the world if you don't frame it. Emmett Smith in his induction ceremony to the Hall of Fame, he said, it's only a dream until you write it down. Then it becomes a goal. Everybody, Travis, everybody in the churches we lead dreams of making an impact for Christ. Mm. Nobody has a goal. Mm. They just have a dream. So I say, write it down, make a list. And, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole nother Oprah, man. I mean, we could talk about it all day long. And then step two, pray for him every day that God would reveal himself. And you're making a commitment every stinking day. You rifle through that list. It might have four names on it. You might be like Tom and be an introvert, and there aren't that many people sitting in your front row seats. You might be more like maybe an, a, another pastor that you've met who's mm. always out front. there, very gregarious, yeah, and very 
working the crowd all the time and, you know, that's their personality. They may have 30 people on their list. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Eight to 15 on average, but don't get buried in that metric. Just understand that there's a group of some size, a limited number, make a list. Now you're praying every day and you pray for each one because you know each one to some degree. You're praying intelligently. You're not praying that the world would know Jesus. I mean, what kind of prayer is that? Mm. I'm praying that Bob would know Jesus. I often say, if you think your job is to witness to everybody, you'll never witness to anybody, which is why most Christians don't. So now I'm praying for Bob, you know, and, and then the others on the list. Number three, invest in those relationships. It's going to take sacrifice now, but you're going to have to start looking through a different lens at that group of people, and you're going to invest the love of Jesus in their lives. And then four is invite. Invite them into a faith conversation. That might be an invitation to a church event or a service. It might be an invitation to your home for dinner, but into an arena where faith might come up and it might be catalytic in their spiritual journey. Hmm. Well, we have, as a youth pastor, I know I did, and you and I as pastors, we always tell our church family, invite your friends. Invite your oikos. We may not use oikos because we don't understand the word that well, but we say invite your friends and family. We got a comedy night. Invite your friends. We got it. You know, our youth group has a, a big, you know, after game party. Invite your friends. And then they never do. And then we get mad at them for not really taking it seriously. Bro, you can't tell people to start anything on step number four and expect to be successful. Step four is the invitation. The reason they will even consider the invitation is because you made the investment. The only reason you made the investment is because you've been praying every day. The only reason, Travis, listen to me. The only reason you <laughs> prayed every day is because you made a stinking list. Right? <laughs> and then step five is what you and I would refer to as what is the preparation. It's church. We come on, it's prepare, it's list, pray, invest, invite, and prepare. And that preparation is the structures that pastors provide mm. on the weekends, in groups, in ministries, to help elevate the potential that an invitation will be accepted. But I, you know, if I got a guy in my church and I got a guy who is, uh, he's just a lousy Christian. <laughs> and he grew up in church, he knows the ropes, he, he gave his... He gave his life to Jesus. He went to camp and kumbaya and threw the stick <laughs> in the fire. And then he got married and he just, and he's more religious now, right? And he's just like showing up at church. Okay, I have a vested interest in that cat for this reason. There are eight to 15 people watching him. Now I got to grow him up so he becomes a better demonstration, a daily demonstration of the power of the gospel in somebody's life. It's a cool story. You know, you have to go to Matthew's gospel to pick it up. But the next time Jesus and the fellows went to the Decapolis, I write about this in not my church. The next time those guys went to the Decapolis, 
I don't know if you remember, but <laughs> the people in that region asked Jesus to leave after they yeah. saw the demonized man. They said, you got to leave. They were afraid of Jesus. Mm-hmm. They were amazed by his testimony. Let that sink in. They were afraid of Jesus, but amazed by the testimony. And then the next time Jesus comes to the Decapolis, people are coming out of the woodwork. And they're bringing their friends and their family to be healed and to be, you know, to, to be restored. And, and it's, it's this, this is what we want for church. We want big. But we don't get big. You know, God gives the big. We water the small. Focus, focus, focus on those 8 to 15. And just watch, you know, what did Paul say? To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to the power to work within us. It's God who does immeasurably more, not Pastor Travis or Pastor Tom. We don't do more. It's not our church family that does more. God does more when we do less. You talk about our Pakistani audience for your podcast or Afghanistan or Iraq or people in the 1040 window. Bro, where's the church blowing up most quickly? In those places. Why? The bottlenecks are gone. No professional clergy, no campuses, no weekend services that are authorized, at least, as being public services. Church grows fastest when governments, when governments tell the church, you can't, you can't, you can't do that anymore. You got to go ecocentric, man. All you can do is oikos. This is what Jesus gave us. Now, I hope America doesn't become part of that oppression. I, I love my freedom. I love going to church. But man, I just think if Jesus is saying, you know, the American church, yikes, they're so stuck on big. I just want them to go home. Anyway, okay, I've rambled. No, 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 you, you haven't. In fact, I think you've hit something that I, what, what I, I'm very passionate about because it is my contention that we are in love with the shiny. We are in love with the big, bad, and the better, and the best practices, and we're always talking about those things. Yet we look at the attendance of churches where, even before the pandemic, we're seeing a decrease going on. And the, the question that everybody's walking around is asking why, and, and, and people are asking questions, and you hear about such things as deconstruction, or you hear about the LBGTQ, you hear about social issues, you hear about a lot of different things. So my solution has been, let's look at the church in the world and say, what, what are they trying to show us? Because it seems like their faith is much more rich than ours is. And the question is why? We have more resources, we have more buildings, we have more abilities and more freedoms, and, and we seem to be more inhibited and restricted by our own gifts and pleasures. I was talking to a pastor today, and I said, hey, tell me what's going on with your church. And he said, you know, we're growing, things are going well. I said, well, where, where's it struggling? He goes, we can't get anybody to serve. And, but I, I do want to ask that same pastor, how many programs are you offering? And I, I know that there's been the conversation that we we want to be the one-stop shop. And, and my thought is, is I, I think people are done with that. Yeah. I think people want to connect with God. They really want to connect with God. And unfortunately, I was reading an article that was in the Gospel Coalition. Uh, Paul Carter, I think, was the author of it. And he's in Canada. And he was talking about Together for the Gospel. And he said, we had the last meeting 
And he said, I, the question was asked, how many of you in pastoral ministry have been here for over 25 years? And he said, there were 600 men in the room, only two raised their hand. Now, on one level, he said, I'm rejoicing. Look at all these young guys. They're so passionate. They're so excited. But on the other hand, he said, I've only been in pastoral ministry since 1994. Where are all the other guys? Yeah. And he said, for many of them, they become experts in stuff that doesn't matter. Right. And they don't understand theology. They don't understand how to do all of these other things and how to get people to actually connect with God in a way that's understandable to them. And it's always the out there rather than the, the front row seat. And that's what I love about the Oikos principle. It's saying concentrate on those people that are in your life in that way. The danger that I see, and, and correct me how you deal with this, what, are, what happens though when those people become your holy huddle and they have come to know Christ and you've become so insular that you've lost touch with the outside world. How do you go about then reshaping or re, not retooling, reshaping, but how do you direct people then to go outside right. from that? Yeah, there's a, you know, the Oikos, it's, it's a, it's an interesting group. It's an eclectic group. You've got non-believers on your front row. I mean, you do, I do. Yeah. Whenever I hear people say after they learn this idea, they say, well, I don't have any non-believers in my Oikos. And I say, well, that, yes, you, you do. do. You do. You just never don't realize right. you know, Just make a list. I mean, that's where it all starts anyway. Just make a list. Just think about it. And people can identify. But it's not just, and I call them pre-believers, not non-believers, because I my number one gift is faith. So pre-believers. There you go. There you go. Um, and and then you've got prodigals. You've got people who have fallen mm -hmm. off the wagon spiritually. They're they're believers. They They are Christians, I believe. I have them in my life but they just aren't tracking right now. And they've, they've let the world kind of soak them up and whatever. And then you have um, purposefuls, which are people who are walking with the Lord. If I was your friend, a good friend of yours, if you were sitting in my front row seat, you would be a purposeful. You, you would be somebody who is living their life according to the purpose God had given you. Cheryl, my wife, my, my beloved is number one on my Oikos list, but she's been a Christian, you know, since she was a little girl. I mean, she, she's better Christian than I am. <laughs> and so I'm, I, but I pray for, she, I still work it, work the whole process with her in mind because I, I want, I, inv I pray for her. I invest in her. I invite her into faith conversations because I want her to continue to remain where she is in living her life on purpose. But then I, I included a new group a few years ago. I call them potentials because God is always adding people to our group. When you look at the theater idea, and I may not be answering the question you asked, but maybe I'm barking up that tree. When you look at the theater idea and you've got these, let's say 15 people sitting in the front row, once in a while, God will punt one of those men or women or kids back three rows. He may send them back up into the balcony for a while. He may move somebody from the mezzanine right down into your front row seat. The Oikos is an ever-evolving group, mm -hmm. which means you got to be on your game because there's always just a window of opportunity. People move away. People change jobs. People graduate and go to different colleges. People die. I mean, this Oikos idea is not like God gave you 8 to 15 and that's your group forever. You might have 
Travis, you might have over the course of your Christian experience, you, you might have 500 different people sitting in your front row for a significant amount of time. Mm. And so it is never done. Our purpose is never fulfilled. And when I call the church to the number one issue is the gospel. And the church makes everything, social issues, the issue. They make, we make, we make politics. Now, for the last 18 months, my goodness, politics have become the thing. Yeah. The gospel is the thing. I mean, we, we, we have to keep people focused on what Jesus asked. The only thing he asked of us, stay focused on that thing. And so when... When, when, we, when we look at our, our front row, we, we see, for example, a purposeful. What does praying for Cheryl have to do with turning lost people into saved people? Cheryl, my wife. Well, she's got her own oikos. I mean, if she stays focused, lost people are going to come to faith. Why do I want to bring a prodigal back? Because they are just wasting daylight here. I want to help them get back into a good spiritual rhythm of personal growth and focusing on personal mission because lost people could become saved people if they were focused in that way. And, and so even the potentials, I, I will, I'll find myself talking to the same person in one of the trades, maybe here locally. I tell the story in the Not My Church book about the dog trainer. We had an, we had a, I told Cheryl, she, she said, we got to get a dog trainer. I said, okay, well, look on Yelp. We don't know any dog trainers. She said, she punched in, uh, highest rated dog trainer in the high desert. I had told her to punch in highest rated exorcist in the high desert because this dog, <laughs> was, this dog was a bad dog. But anyway, this guy shows up to our house, and I never met Jason before, and I said, uh, you know, he runs our dog through the a little routine, and I said, so is this what you do every day? You just go to people's house and, and, uh, and train their dog? He said, no, everybody comes to my house. I only come to your house. And I said, you only come to my house? I said, why well, you come to my house? I would have come to your house. And he said, well, my wife goes to your church. And I said, okay. <laughs> I laughed. I said, okay, well, now I understand why she, she's probably saying, well, Pastor Tom, you got to go to his house. But I immediately said, now I'm stuck with this guy, right? For 15 <laughs> dog training lessons. He and I, he's going to be sitting in my front row for 15 hours over the next three months. And I said, this is just a setup. This is just a beautiful set. This guy wasn't even in the theater, man. And God, he walked into the balcony, right down, sat him on my front row seat. And now, you know, he and his whole family, she was coming to church already uh, sporadically. He and his whole family, uh, it's just beautiful every weekend, just sitting there that almost takes up a whole row, the whole family. But, you know, I could just, just those are potentials. I had, an orth, I had a, a doctor, an orthotics doctor, and uh, so now I got to go for orthotics appointments. Dang, I don't want to spend that money. My, I have to pay that money out of my pocket. My insurance doesn't cover that particular need. 
okay, I'll go. And now I'm talking to the same guy every, every week for a couple of months. And I'm, and he's a Giants fan and I'm a Dodgers fan. Travis, what are the chances that God would throw a Giants fan and a Dodgers, you know, all, and it's just, this is the way the Lord builds his kingdom. It's through those relationships. And when a church family, and I would just say, I don't know how much longer we're going to go here, but I would just say this. Every church exists because of the Oikos principle. Mm. 95% of every person in that room, ask them. I mean, if you're a pastor listening to what we're, Travis and I are talking about today, just figure out what Oikos is, explain it to your church, put a little chart up there so they can see it, and then ask them. How many of them gave their hearts to Christ primarily because of the influence of someone in that group? And after everybody raises their hand, just say, keep your hands up for a minute. And folks, look around the room. This is the way that question is always answered. No church exists without the Oikos principle. So God has done an amazing work. It's like he needs us. You know, Paul goes to the Europagus and he's trying to, he's talking to these guys saying, you know, you know, God doesn't need our help, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he told them. He told them, he said, all these temples, all these gods need your help. The God, the unknown God you worship that I'm declaring to you, he doesn't live in a temple. He doesn't need your help. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He has invited us into this incredible relationship of seeing people know him. The greatest joy that we have is that people would know Christ. And when people on our front row come to know Christ, and it's not out of sinful pride, but you sit back watching them get baptized, Travis, watching them get baptized, and you're sitting back, and you're saying to yourself, I had a piece of that. There's no feeling in the world like that, because that's what the great, that's why the commission is so dang great, because we get to be a part of it. And, you know, God can come up with a better plan. I mean, Lord knows, and I mean that literally, Lord knows it would have been more effective. That <laughs> he loves us so much. He said, I'm going to give you a seat at the table, and then I'm going to let you be a part of me changing the world. And so now the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And now the country's blowing up, the church is losing market share, and the only place it's growing is in places in the world where the Oikos principle is front and center. And I'm saying just, if God built, you know, pastor, if you're looking at 100 people, 90% of the churches in this country are not led by a mega church leader. If you're looking at 100 people Sunday morning, 95 95 of them are there because of the Oikos principle. Just think what could happen at your church if they became intentional about it. And that's the whole challenge of the Great Commission. That it's intentionality. Mm-hmm. It's an assumption you're going, but now be intentional about making disciples. And it's that intentionality factor that really separates the men from the boys and the women from the girls, I guess. That's just an old, <laughs> it's an old statement, so I don't want to sound sexist. But it does, <laughs> it does separate the mature from the immature uh, in the kingdom of God and in kingdom work. Tom, 
hearing you talk about that and the obvious passion that you have is an encouragement to me because I do think all the things that you said are true. Um, whether it's the the, the, the culture going to hell in a handbasket, the, the endless fights that I see going on within the evangelical church, the growth of the global church within the Oikos, and even our calling back to the us, and I mean, uh, Apollos Water, what we're trying to do is call and use these principles that we've seen at play, which are just Jesus principles, even our discipleship. We like to call it missio holistic. And it's, it's the idea of all of your life, people, like you said, all of your life. I, and I love how you use the theater analogy. I took, I actually used the same one and I've seen it played out. Mike Goheen put it in his drama of scripture and Kevin Van Hooser. He, he talked about us being on the stage of the world and where Christ is the center player. He's the main actor of the entire thing. And we're, uh, we're, we're given the opportunity to perform the gospel in front of a watching world. And that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying, God has put these five to seven or seven to, how would you say eight to 15 people in your life? Yeah. And they're watching you live that out. And I, I love that aspect because I think that most people within the church focus on, I just need to get into the celebrity pastor, or I got to get that presentation in and not the idea of a considered over time, rubbing shoulders, living life, and offering them into my home. Uh, I, I, we, we talked a bit about Nick Ripkin in the, the pre-show walkthrough, and he talked about inviting some Muslims over. And he said, what's going to happen is, is when I invite them over, these Muslim women are going to come over to my home, and they're going to come over at a time when I don't want them there, and they're going to sit there, and they're going to watch my family, they're going to watch my, my wife, they're going to watch for several hours, and then they're going to go through all of our drawers to make sure there's nothing unkosher or anything there. But they're watching us. They're seeing who we are to see if that's real, and then they'll invite their families and, and, and let them be. Do you think that the reason most of us haven't done that is because we have privatized our faith and we're fearful of people getting close because we feel like we are not ready there, uh, ready and available to, we're, we're not up to the challenge, if you will. We don't feel like we're spiritual, we're holy, we're good enough to be able to do that. Do you think that's a part of the reason why people are not doing it? Or we're too, well, busy, I, we're too busy of the good? Yeah, too busy of the good. Uh not confident in their call. Mm. You know, as I say in the book, and I'm going to screw this up, and I wrote it. Um, <laughs> That's the best. If I, anybody's allowed to screw it up, it's you. So, you can screw so up I, your own stuff. Yeah, thank you. As I say in the book, <laughs> you know, every Christian is built um, to change the world. And, and they don't know it. And most churches are not structured to help them understand it. And so I do think that there is a lack of confidence. I think people have handed the role of world change to the megachurch, to the big voices. It's the go big. We bought into that. It's the consumer idea that more is better. And more is never better in the kingdom, better is better, and better is oikos. Anyway, so if you look at, and I, I again, follow the numbers, Travis, you'll always get to the truth. I'm a data-driven guy. Oikos is a metrics-driven ministry model. If you look at the percentage of Christians being serviced by mega churches, when I say serviced, I mean that in a, in a positive way, being ministered to, attending 
the mega church or the large churches by by mega gifted pastors, mega resourced communities. One of the things that I hide as a church is a little bit of an anomaly because it is a larger church in a poor community. And even your inner city churches that are large usually have some corporate presence that provides large dollars for the ministry. And we have no deep pockets here. We have none. And so we structure our ministry based on, based on that. I, I, yeah, anyway. But what the, the average pastor, he's averagely gifted, or she, averagely resourced, small town America, mostly like where you grew up, mm-hmm. as you shared yeah, in the pre-show. Small town, yeah. Um, and they they go to Catalyst. They go to, and I'm not condemning these conferences. These conference leaders are trying to pump us up, and I appreciate that. But we go sometimes to conferences, and we come home, and we just hang our heads and say, "Man, we can never do that stuff. We can't compete." I mean, the Dodgers. Let's talk about them for a minute. <laughs> the Dodgers are the most hated team in baseball for one reason, and this is I read that because I'm a Dodger fan. I took interest in the survey is because of the deep pockets the Dodgers have. There's an endless amount of money, which is why they, they signed Scherzer and Turner, you know, at the, at the deadline and everybody else is just watching. Well, it didn't work out for them, but anyway, all that to say, you can look at large franchise level mega churches and say, man, I wish I could be that guy. I wish I could have a church in that community. I wish we could do what they do. Or you could just recognize the only reason those guys are talking and ladies are talking in front of large groups on the weekend is because of the Oikos principle. They may not understand that, but if they ask the question, they would come to realize it. And you have that same opportunity this Sunday with the hundred people who attend your church. I mean, you and you've probably talked to the small church pastor who's living in a community in the shadow of a mega church. I mean, how's a guy supposed to supposed to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not your competition, brother. Our That's competition are the demons. Yeah. And they're not, they're like single A now since the cross. They can't even compete with us anymore. So you just train the people that show up that God has given you the opportunity to mentor and lead and teach. Prepare, step five, prepare them for their mission. Do it on Sunday morning, do it in groups, do it through the service opportunities, through the way you structure your ministry. But whether or not they make an impact for Christ is going to say, that's going to determine the future of your church family and whether you're solvent in five years. And even if your gifting level isn't going to ever get to the point where you're talking thousands, I'm telling you, you're going to talk hundreds. If you're talking dozens now, you will talk hundreds. And then some may say, yeah, I don't want to go to your church. I don't like your church. And that's when you say, that's fine. It's not my church. (laughs) If you know Christ, you got an oikos. You go, son. You go, girl. Who cares if they attend our church? Mm -hmm. Who cares if we have to start another campus? I mean, I don't care. I've told that, you know, even through the pandemic, Travis, that's the number one message. 
I have brought to all of these pastors that are saying, what do we do? What do we do? I say, relax, man. It's not your church. <laughs> I mean, give Jesus a little credit here. But Tom, we got to meet in person or we got to, you know, and I say, God, gosh, man, just take it, you know, take a step back and a deep breath and recognize that Jesus is the head of his church and none of this caught him off guard. And we're all going to be okay. I just want us to all be loving each other when it's over. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to start stop criticizing each other now. Because mm. it's all going to be over someday, maybe. <laughs> At least we thought. <laughs> Who knows? You know, something else may start. But we just got to stop all of the rancor and the angst and the the vitriol toward pastors who do this or they don't do it the right way or, man, just prepare your people for their mission. It is all taking place in the front row seats of the people who attend their church on the weekends and in their groups. That's where kingdom is happening. That's okay, I'm saying everything like sideways, different ways, but it's all... <laughs> I'm losing my voice, Travis. I can preach all day, but I can't talk to you for more than a couple hours. I get so excited. Right, hey, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But Tom, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I want to thank you for sharing the Oikos principle. I know that I'm challenged and, and you're fired up and that gets me fired up when I get around other believers that thank have you. that type of passion to want to see the kingdom of God grow. And really, we want to be about it. I, I love the fact that while you're in a larger church, it, you're saying, hey, it's it's the, it's the in these smaller workhouses where it's really happening. And that's where that real growth is. And I, I think back to my own life, the biggest examples that I had were in a small little country church of 40, 50 people, where I, I, I joke where we had Sister Dorothy playing the, the piano with an oxygen tank. I mean, that was it. And, and we had, we had, uh, I mean, we had 75 on Easter, but we had eight or nine in the choir and four or five were special needs. And, and yeah. I, and I remember as a kid going, what is going on here, but it's exactly where they needed to be. Yes. And it's exactly where we experienced the presence of God in those places. And, and, and people wore overalls and hearing aids and Bill Gaither was the 13th apostle and all of that <laughs> kind of thing was going on there. But I, I look back with a degree of fondness that I think we lose today in the McDonaldization, the big boxes you were saying, in the yeah. go big, go home and in love with the bigger, the bigger, the better. And I look at these smaller church pastors and I'm like, you know, as Francis Schaeffer said, there are no little people, there are no little places. God's got you there. And don't be envious. That's what they, that's the, 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 the cross they have to bear. And it might seem like right. it's a, it's not, you know, that you're looking at the, the prestige that goes with it, but it's a responsibility and a burden. And it can easily, and we know in our celebrity-driven culture, that can turn on you yeah, very, very quickly. And that's why I think we need to rediscover God is in the small things. It's He's in the prayer closet. He's in the the day-to-day -day relationships. And while we want the, the mountaintop, he's found in the valley and it's in the suffering where people see that in you. Yep. They see that suffering. I, I know we have a woman that listens to this show and she's, she's close to us. And she came to Christ as she watched her brother's wife deteriorate from cancer. Yeah. And that's how she came to Christ. And, and it wasn't in the massive presentations. It wasn't in the light shows. It wasn't in any of those things. And again, I go back to Elijah, you know, it wasn't in the, 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 the mountaintops. It wasn't in the, the winds, the storms, the earthquake, the fire. It was in the still small voice. 
And I, I think God still does that. So I just wanted to thank you for coming on the show. And oh, man, it's my pleasure. And hearing more about the Oikos principle, and they can learn more online. I know they can Google you and see a lot of your sermons are online. Go to highdesertchurch.com. Yeah, yeah, or you can go to the, or just oikosmovement.com. And uh, that's where, you know, some of the resources that they can kind of investigate this a little more. Or honestly, if there's a pastor out there that ever wants to, to talk to me, then call me. Wow. I mean, just email me. I mean, I, I spend a lot of my time just talking to pastors and uh, trying to help them if I can. And funny thing is they help me as much as I help them, I'm sure. But we just keep the conversation going about how we can pe- keep our church families focused on the Great Commission. Amen and amen and amen. Yeah. amen. Thank you, Tom. God bless All you. Right, Thank you for coming on Apollos Water. All right, man. Love you. Thanks. I got to say that I love the Oikos principle. It breaks it down so that I can understand it. Oftentimes, I get in my own head. I don't know about you, but I start thinking about all the people that I know, and I'm praying for all these people, and I forget about the 8 to 15 people on the front row of my life. And what I love about this is that it's so simple, and anybody can do it. It's just awesome. If you have been blessed by this episode, if God has used this, then may I ask a favor of you? Would you consider becoming one of our Apollos watered watering family? We are on the runway and we're in our, what we like to call our ready to fly campaign. We are just sitting on the runway, ready to go, ready to go into the air. We believe that God has birthed this. He is putting all of these different pieces together, connections that we had no idea that we had from all over the world. It's really incredible to think about where we have gone in one year. And in order to make this fly, we need to raise about $150,000. I know that sounds like a lot to some and to others, it seems like a small amount, but that's what we need. And we're looking to you to help make that happen. We're looking to the people of God, those that God has touched through this to come alongside us to help make this fly. And we've told people that we're looking for 80 watering partners. While we give an amount, for us, we want many people to come alongside to be a part of the family. So while we're looking for 80 giving partners, we're looking for also $150,000. Now, I know you might say to yourself, I can't give anywhere near that. That's okay. That's what we love about the body of Christ, that Jesus looks to not the amount, but the intent of our heart. That's what I love about the widow who gave the too much. She gave everything that she had to live on, and God honored her for that. So while we look to an amount, we also look to the hearts of the people that God is inclined to be a part of this, because he has birthed it, and he's grown it, and he's inviting you to be a part of it. And if that's something that God is leading you to, go to apolloswater.org, and in the upper right-hand corner, there's a button called Support Us. Click on that, and you'll see many different levels. Pick one, or just simply select Surprise Us, and then put in the amount that you would like to give. You'll be glad that you did. We want more people to have or to grow from connecting with Apollos Watered. If you have been impacted while listening to a podcast, besides the financial part, would you do us a favor? Would you screenshot the podcast episode that you listened to, text it to one of your friends, share it on stories, or simply share it directly from your podcast platform? Subscribing and leaving a review also puts it out there to more people. Remember, 
There's also content on Instagram, our Facebook page, and our website, The Shareable. Together, let's leave a trickle of truth and encouragement around the world and watch people grow. Much thanks to the Apollos Watered team, Kevin, Melissa, Donovan, Eliana, Rebecca, and Audrey. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody. Stay watered, everybody.